It's already a good night. I feel like we could probably just call it a night and go home if y'all want to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Hey, so... Uh, Quick shout out to Worship Crew. Wasn't that set amazing? That was so good. Shout out to Kelsey Vining. I'm a little partial to our worship leader, but I love her. <laughs> Whew. Man, it's good to it's good to be here. It's good to it's good to be on that side of worship with with you guys because uh, I've been seeing it from this perspective since February, and it looks really good. Don't get me wrong. From that perspective, it looks real good. I like looking out at some sincere-hearted people who are losing their mind for Jesus. I really love that. Um, but it's also fun to be like right next to y'all while y'all are losing your mind for Jesus too, and to remember what it's like to just kind of um, lift my hands, close my eyes, and just be with the Lord. And so I appreciate y'all giving me that blessing tonight. And I appreciate worship crew stepping up and doing an amazing job putting the set together and executing it. Uh, we have... Uh, the best the best worship crew in Grand Rapids. If you don't believe me, come fight me. And that's how I feel about it. So that's the end of that subject. Um, so we've been going through a series for the uh, past, what, four, five? Three weeks. Three weeks. It just seems like forever. Hey, oh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> just kidding. You got to burn the pastor when he lets you preach. Uh, We've been going through this series for the past month. How about that? It's called Hype Beast. Somebody say Hype Beast. What is a Hype Beast? A Hype Beast is anything that takes you away from what God has for you. How many people know there's some Hype Beasts in our world? How many people, uh, yeah, I'm just going right there, but how many of y'all were uh, feeding the Hype Beasts already today? Come on, man. I'm guilty. Yeah. Right here. I'm going to tell you. I'm guilty. How many of us live with the hype beast so much that the hype beast is almost just like a nice puppy that we keep out back? And we save it for a rainy day. When we're feeling bored, we go visit the hype beast. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so last week in the hype beast series, Matt preached a, ser a sermon called, Do You Boo Boo? Live in my, own tr live in my truth. Um, and we talked about how we seem to be in sort of like a post-truth culture where um, you'll even hear people say things like, you know what, that's cool, do you, boo-boo? Like, you're living your truth, I'm living my truth. And um, if history has taught us anything, you look at some of the biggest movements in history and some of the worst atrocities in history, you'll find out that sometimes when you're living your truth, other people's truth doesn't line up with your truth. And that's where we get conflicts, that's where we get wars, that's where we get backbiting denominations in our churches, that's where we get all kinds of things that are evil and they're not from God. Um, so we uh, kind of tore a hole in that argument, the do you boo-boo mentality last week. And um, then we began to touch on fear a little bit because when you live in a post-truth society and when you live in a do-you-boo-boo -boo, uh, mentality, it produces a lot of fear because the reality of the situation is not everybody is going to agree with your truth and other people's truths will run over your truths and sometimes people will be bigger, richer, more influential, more powerful than you and they'll come with their truth and say you believe my truth or else and they will say uh, you know you believe my truth or um, I'm overthrowing your system you believe my truth or I'm ransacking your house you believe my truth or I'm gonna straight up cut your head off it depends on where you're living but this is what 
living our truth gets us. Um, so tonight I want to I want to delve a little more into that fear, though, because that that fear that comes from that mentality is a very real thing, and uh, it's not exclusive to quote unquote them or to the world or to unbelievers or unrighteous people. It's it's a uh, to us Christians who live in our sort of like self-righteous um, bubbles, fear has been welcomed into the church. It's been accepted with open arms. Um, and not only that, but I would say that we actually make a space for it on our stage. We write a sermon series geared towards it. We take an offering to pay for it. Fear actually in a lot of churches has more persuasion over what is done and what is said than the Holy Ghost does. And um, yeah, I came, here to, I came here to put a stop to that um, and to start that momentum in all of us, to stir up our hearts, to say, you know what, enough is enough. We refuse to be one more church with a Jesus on the outside and fear on the inside. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about how to resist fear. I'm going to read this scripture passage for you. Y'all ready for the word? Yeah. All right. Coming out of the... Uh, yes, sir. Coming out of the ESV, Isaiah chapter 8. Going for the Old Testament here. Somebody say, old school. <laughs> I just wanted to see what that feels like. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read a passage out of Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 8, starting at verse 11 through 13. Some of y'all got Bibles out there. Some of y'all got phones. We've also got Sky Bible, our trusty friend. Been here since day one. <laughs> All right. Y'all ready? All right. For the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, and he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Skipping down to verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should a people not inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. And they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they will become enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they'll turn their faces upward. And when they look to the earth, behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Welcome to church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every soul sitting in a chair here, every heart open to receive your word, for the soil that's already been prepared throughout this week, for the good seed that is the word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to have your way, to be the loudest voice that speaks above our fears, our anxieties, our presuppositions about who you are and what you're after. We just open all of our senses to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Hey, for those who I haven't met tonight, um, I just kind of want to provide a moment 
to kind of open up a little a little bit of my heart to y'all because um, I have the advantage with some of my family here, some of the crew who we've been with since uh, day one of launching this thing, that when I speak, you know, they understand my heart. They understand where I'm coming from. I know I'm loved and accepted by them. And I, and I don't, I don't, um, we speak about some heavy things here. The, the word has a very powerful and serious message to teach us tonight. But what I, what I want is to be transparent. I want to preach that word from a place of vulnerability. I want to let you all know that I'm not, I'm not just pulling out. I didn't just read my Bible this week so I could preach a sermon. I read my Bible. And I didn't just like spend time with the Lord this week because he told me I had to preach this Sunday. I spend time with the Lord because he deserves it. And um, so I want to open up my heart so that you understand where I'm coming from as I give this word, that, that you see that in my life, grace has been the thing that has sustained me, that it's, it's, I've not always, I didn't come out of the womb righteous, that I didn't come out of, uh, out of, out of, uh, out of the nursery speaking in tongues, all right? I'm a human being just like everybody else. Depending on when you met me in my, in my life, you might have had a different perception of me at a different time. If you would have been one of the kids I grew up with in elementary school, you would have seen that I was kind of a different kind of kid, that I had a, a weird uh, emotional propensity that other kids my age didn't exhibit, that I would bring myself to tears because I would see kids getting picked on who didn't deserve it, and I would see children playing alone on the playground, and I would often find myself, despite my desires, <laughs> hanging out with them. The weird kids. When I was five, six years old, there was this girl named Lindsay who I remember used to be at recess every day by herself. And I didn't even like girls because they had cooties. And, um, but I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch out for cooties. It's a real, it's a real struggle. But, um, yeah, I didn't like girls, and but I remember being a little kid and thinking to myself, she really needs someone to play with because it's not fair that no one plays with her, and so and so I did, uh, and I remember being the, um, I remember being later in my schooling, um, you know, about ten or eleven years old. I had friends who had speech impediments, and they would often get picked on. I had two very close friends, and they would have to leave school during the day to go to special speech therapy classes, and all the other kids would make fun of them because they would be like, well, why couldn't you, why weren't you at gym, you know? Like, oh, you had to go because you talk funny? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And I always was making friends with, with people who... Um, were in that situation who would who would be picked on because it it just didn't seem fair to me that that people would do that and there there was nothing you know inherently different about me other than I was tiny and had red hair and really pale skin um, but you know society is more forgiving of that um, and so that was my younger days. And then when I graduated into being an adolescent middle schooler, I quickly learned that um, that, that kind of mentality was not going to get me far in life. I, I learned that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't look right, that I didn't talk right, that I didn't um, have the right clothes or the right toys. Um, yeah. I learned that... Um, I learned that I would never have a place to fit in, that I would never be good enough. And I learned that no one would ever choose me first. 
that's what I learned at that stage in my life and all of that was a part of the story but not the whole thing and then I learned when I was uh, a high schooler I learned that um, being a nonconformist was really fun and it was a good answer to uh, the pain and the lack of acceptance I felt and uh, I learned that quickly um, just by setting yourself further away from other people there's a great overwhelming sense of intellectual and moral superiority that comes with that and in, in effect it also plays well into the version of Christianity that America has created because we love feeling intellectual and morally superior um, and so there's a there's a definite place for you if that's if that's your thing um, and I surrounded myself with really good friends, like-minded youth groupies, you know, and it was awesome. It actually got me through high school, having close friends, youth groupies, like pres presumably like-minded individuals. But uh, I always felt like there was still something wrong with me because I asked questions that other kids didn't. And I didn't just, when we were in Sunday school, because I grew up going to a thing called Sunday school. <laughs> I was uh, a good Baptist kid. And um, I remember asking questions that would frequently elicit anger from Sunday school teachers or other adult figures in my life besides my parents. Um, <laughs> and then my dad was like, oh, you, you do that too? Okay, welcome to, welcome to our life, son. Um, but, uh, yeah, so even within my own people, I never really felt accepted. Um, even within Christianity, I never really experienced acceptance. Um, and that was all a part of the story, but it wasn't the whole thing. Um, I did, did a brief period of my life where I was a cool rock and roll playing guy. And I, I lived in a bus, and I woke up every day in a different town, and that felt pretty good. And um, playing music, presumably for the Lord, felt really good, you know? Talking about Jesus when, when someone would ask, you know, so that, so that you could kind of feel like it was worth all the time you had to take off from work and all the responsibility you had to put on your wife, you know? That kind of thing. <laughs> and that was a part of my story that defined me for a while, but it wasn't the whole thing. And uh, depending on when you met me, you might have met me as someone with a lot of pride who doesn't take criticism very well and maybe isn't very teachable um, because I grew up being told I wasn't good enough. So the last thing I want is for you to tell me areas I need to improve on. Uh, and so I'm aware pride so that, um, so that you're your words don't have influence over me and I'm the master of my own destiny and uh, that was all a part of it too but it wasn't it wasn't the whole thing and um, then you might have met me in another place of <clears throat> darkness and addiction and you might have seen me filling my head with trash and not respecting women the way I should and using yeah, using media, pornography to, to dull the pain of feeling like I didn't belong, like I didn't have purpose, like I didn't know what, what was next for me, but I believed that God had something for me, but 
trying to know God is this big overwhelming thing that just seems exhausting and lonely because I'd never experienced, you know, real community. You might have met me at that time, and so I would look a certain way to you, and that was part of the story, but it definitely wasn't the whole thing. And if you meet me now, nine years into a marriage, expecting my first child, experiencing love in a way that I've never experienced before, the one person on the earth that I can be completely vulnerable and transparent with all the time, and know that that love's not gonna change. And if you see me walking in who I was created to be, a son of the living God with a destiny and purpose and a calling from day one when the kids were teasing me on the playground, if you see me in that light, and if you know me as that person, I promise you that that is the bigger and the larger and the more important story. My name's Rusty and I really appreciate y'all hearing the word tonight. See, through every season of my life, the Lord was there. Hey, tell you what, I'm going to give you one more word here. Check. So, my yeah, my name's Rusty. I appreciate y'all being here tonight. That's a little bit of my story, so y'all feel like you can know me. And um, I'm going to hit you with a scripture that will kind of explain going forward what my mind is all about and how I operate. Um, in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 10, it says that the weapons of my warfare are not of flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And tonight I came to destroy every argument and everything that sets itself against the knowledge of Christ. And uh, I also came to take every thought captive and bring it under obedience to Christ. I didn't come to tune anybody up. I didn't come to fix you. I don't want to adjust you or shut you up. I came to ransack the devil's house and let him know that his time is up and Jesus is taking over. So we're going to the book of Isaiah. The title of my message tonight, y'all ready? Let's get that title, y'all ready? Title of my message is, What You Looking At? Turn to your neighbor and say, What You Looking At? <laughs> Come on. All right. So the part of this passage, this passage was a little bit heavy, and I know it's kind of an odd thing for a pastor to drop really heavy Old, Old Testament uh, passage on you right at the beginning of service and then say, all right, let's pray. Here we go. Let's do this thing. But the part I want to double click on is found in verse 12. So Ma, if you could put that up on verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 8. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. How many people have seen some fear in the world this week? Yes. How many people doubt that they could go a day without seeing fear in this world? Yes. Yeah. So I've been, um, you know, I, I'm a millennial. I sometimes have NPR on. I sometimes engage in similar media outlets. But the thing that I've noticed this week, I actually kind of treated it like research a little bit this week. Because uh, if you listen very carefully to those, um, those shows, those broadcasts, at the end of almost every one, one of the people being interviewed or one of the hosts will say, okay, so what should we be worried about? Okay, so are you, are you concerned? What are you afraid of? 
I've literally heard these phrases at the end of every single NPR piece I heard this week. What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? What's the takeaway that we should be concerned about? This is the conversation that the world is having right now. And it's a little bit disturbing to me, if I can be completely honest. I'm going to start with my own heart. It's a little bit disturbing to me that that's actually kind of one of the sick things about why I consume media, why I entertain people's thoughts and ideas, is in a little bit I'm kind of trying to figure out what should I be worried about? Yes. What should I be concerned about? And I think that the word that the Lord kind of put on my heart this week is, uh, why are you not asking me what you should be worried about? Yes. Why are you trying to look to an imperfect vessel, to a broken cistern that cannot fill you when you know that I am the living water that never runs dry? Why are you consulting them? Did they go to the cross for you? Did they form you in your mother's womb? Did they stick by you through all those seasons of your life when you didn't care about me? Or when you felt like you were completely alone and no one cared about you? It's kind of the equivalent of like that woman who finally has enough when she's married to an abusive man and says, or, or catches him like sneaking out and says, well, what's she done for you? You know? Has she ever taken care of you when you were sick? Has she ever put up with you when you were drowning in self-doubt and affirmed you because of your crippling self-esteem? And it's almost like the Lord is saying that to me, saying like, hey, do you remember who got you through this? And now I'm not good enough? Now you're stepping out on me? Now you're opening up your heart to someone who doesn't deserve it? Because the thing is... I don't believe in ignorance. I'm not an ignorant Christian. I, I like to think I'm not. And I don't, um, I don't advocate being unaware of your world or living oblivious to the needs around you. But there ought to be a difference between the way I deal with a situation and the way the rest of the world does. Because if I read my Bible correctly, and if the blood of Jesus is changing me every day to be more and more like him, then that means that I ought to respond the way he responds. Yeah. And I, I, ought to, um, I ought to have joy in my circumstances. I ought to know how to intervene in situations that seem hopeless. So when everyone else says there's nothing that can be done, I ought to be the one that says, no, there definitely is. But the reality of the situation is most of us don't feel that way. Most of us don't feel empowered to say, I know what to do. I've got the answer. And if we do feel that way, pretty soon the devil creeps up in your ear and says, oh, look at you, you're just another one of those conceited Christians who thinks they know everything. And I tell him to shut his ugly face right now. Um... This, the straight up truth is that we do know what to do. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. And we're not ready to separate ourselves in that way. 
I'm not ready to be the guy who says, maybe the Lord's the answer. You know, m maybe everything you're consulting to try to figure out the answer isn't going to ever satisfy. And maybe there is no solution to this without a dying to yourself. And maybe there is no solution to this problem unless we have a reason to love our neighbors. Because maybe it's not just enough to incorporate the teachings of Jesus in a moralistic fashion into your society that's built on greed and exploitation of the poor and call it Christianity. Maybe you have to actually die to yourself and live the way that Jesus lived. And maybe that's the part that I'm scared of saying. Because I don't want to tell somebody how to live because I'm doing do you boo-boo and they're living their thing and I'm living my thing. And the reality of the situation is like their thing ain't going to cut it. And I love them. I can love people who have different things from me. We can love anybody, correct? That's how Jesus operates. But the reality of the situation is there are things that you will consult. There are strategies you will use that will not work. That's how God designed it. <laughs> and we are made to be open. We are made to be open. We are made to receive. That's a part of our design. Yeah. But we are receiving the wrong things. We are opening ourselves to the wrong things. We were designed that way because God has so much to give. Because he delights in giving. Um, the scripture says that God loves giving gifts to his children. But we're opening our hearts to, to people who have nothing to offer us. To systems that can never that can never even begin to relate to what God has done on the inside of our hearts. So my challenge is maybe we just gotta maybe we gotta operate from a different perspective. You know, the title of this message is What Are You Looking At? Uh, coming out of verse 19 from that passage in Isaiah, they say to you, inquire of mediums and necromancers. So freeze there because those are like old school terminologies. Uh, mediums, you know, are the person who would introduce you to the spirit world in a paganistic fashion. It might be like a fortune teller or, uh, you know, via some sort of seance or whatever. So we're going to conjure up the spirits of our dead ancestors who had to deal with the same stuff that we did. And um, they're going to they're gonna somehow like fight our battles for us and help us. Necromancer is a person who raises someone from the dead. Um, we don't really get into that stuff because, yeah, we're Christians. <laughs> um, but that's what that terminology means. And it's not necessarily relevant to the mass majority of American citizens because we're not really a society full of necromancers and mediums per se. Um, but what we are is we're a society full of media. And we're a society full of people trying to conjure up dead ideas that didn't work before and that uh, can't work again in the future. And we're willing to consult the past and all the times throughout history that we've tried the same dead ideologies and the same dead principles and the same dead foundations 
and the dead ways of thinking and we're going to drag all that out and we're going to whether it's whether it's racist ideology that failed in the first place to produce anything good in society or whether it's uh you know exploitation of the poor or whether it's um what, oh, whatever what, whether it's religious oppression like we're gonna we're gonna do violence in the name of Jesus because that worked really well in the past you know whatever dead ideology you're consulting whatever media uh, is hooking you up with the gateway so to speak opening the portal to this dead spirit that is still lingering over our culture our society um, whatever thing it is it can't produce life it's darkness that's the reality. Anything centered on a foundation other than uh, the love of Jesus is, is a dead ideology, is a dead spirit. It's just, it's just bones that you're digging up out of a grave and they ought to just stay there. So it says, when they inquire of mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, so I like that characteristic because I can totally picture in today's context who the, who the mediums and necromancers in our society are that are chirping and muttering. So yeah, they're, they're using Twitter. <laughs> yep, they're definitely on Twitter. Um, should not a people inquire of their God or should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? I said earlier that God's asking, so when are you going to ask me what's right for this situation? When are you going to believe that that prayer you're praying is actually powerful, is actually effective? The scripture says that the prayer of a righteous person is effective. I would say that there's two things wrong with why that doesn't resonate with us more. I would say, number one, most of us don't see ourselves through righteousness. We see ourselves through failure. And we see ourselves through experience rather than through righteousness. But the Bible says that, uh, that we are the righteousness of God, that we were chosen by him to be the righteousness of God. And that the blood of Jesus was shed to make that relationship possible. So the reason why we don't believe in our prayers and the reason why we feel like we have to engage in a fear culture and that we have to um, fight with other humans to like dominate them on an ideological, maybe even a physical level, is because we don't have faith. We don't have faith in who God has made us and righteousness is too high of a standard for us. And, and um, it's only attainable through self-denial. That's why Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's not that righteousness is unattainable. Righteousness is unattainable if you want to be the one in control of your life. Righteousness is completely attainable to every believer. You can live holy in this world. You can walk out the life of Jesus. That is a truth. What's also a truth resonates from the beginning of Isaiah's story. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was a prophet. And a prophet, I put it this way, a prophet is a person who has a vision of what's God's desire for his people. And Isaiah was a prophet. He had a vision of what God's desire was for his people. And when Isaiah was called, he saw God. 
he actually saw Almighty God, which is insane, flipping insane. And he saw just the train of his robe. So like God's got just a huge robe on, I guess. Like Beyonce. <laughs> Thank you. Like Beyonce, he's got a huge robe on. And it says just the bottom of his robe filled the entire temple. And he fell down on the ground like a person who's seen God probably would. He fell down on the ground and he said, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a generation of unclean lips. And then he sees angels flying around. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So this is some trippy stuff, man. Like, this is, this is intense. Like, living beings that are like nothing you've ever seen in the entire world, flying around, and they're just having a worship party, and then God's robe is just everywhere, and there's smoke, and that overwhelming feeling of, like, I'm going to die. Like, I literally am going to die because this feeling of overwhelming intensity of, like, like, I don't even know what's happening right now, but I just feel like I can't even breathe. Like, I'm going to die. And so that's the, the picture. That's what happens to him when he is called by God. And he says, woe to me. And then an angel comes up to him with a, with a hot coal out of a fire and, like, singes his mouth, like, burns his mouth. And he says... Now your guilt has been taken away and you have been made clean. Um, and he calls him to, to give the revelation of what God wants to do in the life of his people Israel. And now he's a prophet and he has a picture. And uh, God calls out, who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah says, here, 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 I, here I am. Here I am. I just got the hot coal. So, yep me. I guess I will. And that's, that's the beginning of his calling. And his reaction to seeing God, what, there was some fear involved because he was a good, he, he was a good Old Testament prophet and he knew his stuff. And he knew that it was said, anyone who sees God will die. No one can see God and live. That's what the priests were for. The priests had to set you up with the Lord. So they had to go in with the sacrifice and do it for you so that, you know, God wouldn't smote you for being wicked and terrible. And um, he knew that in the day that he saw the Lord, he could not live. He would die. And that's why he said, woe to me. But God had plans for him to live. And through Christ later, God would continue expressing his desire for you to live. Because Christ came preaching the same message. And he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Because the law of the Old Testament is based on a spiritual and metaphysical truth. No one can see God and live. But Jesus gave a new meaning to that because he said, if anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
Paul puts it this way. He says, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Because no one who has seen God can live. But our soul can. Our flesh can't live, but our souls can. So we put to death the old nature with its sin and its guilt and its shame and its death. And we walk in newness in Christ. And that is good news. <laughs> but it also means when we put on Christ, when we say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a generation of unclean lips, chirping and muttering all day long. Jesus says, it's okay. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. He puts it this way in Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, then your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he throws in there, you cannot serve both God and money. I believe fear is a drug. And I believe that there is a very wicked and specific agenda that the devil wants you to be afraid. And I believe that he desires to take over nations, to take over marriages, and to take over individual hearts. And the biggest weapon he has in his arsenal to enslave you to his will and his desires is fear. Everything comes out of fear. Because if you are afraid, then you are walking in the opposite direction of love. And as long as you are walking in the opposite direction of love, you are walking in the opposite direction of God. Because God is love. This entire system is built on fear. It's a drug. And why does Jesus say you can't serve both God and money? Is he just was he just like particularly amped up that day on like being a homeless carpenter? Um I believe that the reason is because there is a great correlation between fear and greed. And I don't think you have to be a rich person to be greedy. But I think self-preservation is the root of greed. And I think that our entire culture is, is drowning in, in self-preservation. Yeah. And frankly, we've got to stop being afraid. We've got to stop fearing one another. We've got to stop fearing our past. We've got to stop fearing that we're not good enough. The thing is, is that if the eye is the lamp of the body, then that means that what we look at determines how we feel and how we act and what we believe. And if I have a perspective that says God is good, 
he is, Jesus is making all things new, just like he said he would. If that perspective is my constant light, my true north star, the thing that guides me through every single day and every moment, then it doesn't matter what so-and-so says. It doesn't matter what my government does. It doesn't matter what wicked, evil thing somebody in my world does. This is my true North Star. This is my focus. Jesus is making all things new. And he's starting with me. He's starting in my heart. So you can tell me about American Christians and how we're lazy and how we're hypocritical and how we don't love the poor and we don't care about um, LGBT community and we don't whatever. But I do. My heart does. These people do. Takeover Church does. I'm not responsible for what they do. I'm not responsible for who America is. I'm responsible for who Rusty is. And who Rusty is, is a new creation in the blood of Jesus. Forged before I was even old enough to enter that playground situation where a kid made me feel inadequate. Or before I ever developed an addiction to something. Or before I even was disappointed by someone who didn't come through for me in a relationship. Before any of that, I was his. And I'll be damned if I'm going to change my mind about him. Band, you can get ready to, to close us out. We're going to land this thing in a good place. But what I, what I want to invite everybody to is I want to invite us I want to invite us to just be real for a minute about the things we're afraid of. I, I, I want us to spend some time with the Lord. If you've been in a place where lately, you know what, the world's just got a lot of, it's got a lot of aggression and it's, it's got, a, there's just a ton of brokenness. Like you can find an encyclopedia of brokenness if you just type certain words into Google and you'll spend entire weeks, you know, occupying your mind with thoughts that, that are no good, that don't elevate you. Um, but in these moments, I just want us to, to open ourselves up to the Lord and to say, I'm returning to you, Father. You have the last word over my life. You get to say how I feel. You get to say how I think. Not whatever's on Twitter. Not whatever so-and-so posts on Facebook. So in these moments, I'm just going to ask you to like, to just spend some quiet time reflecting. And just, just tell the Lord where you're at. Be honest. If there's things that I'm saying that are upsetting you, and you feel like, yeah, but you don't have the whole picture. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I'm at. You don't know what's been going on. That's fine. I'll concede to that. Um, but what I'm asking you to do is to just talk to the Lord about it. So let's do that for a minute.
is for these last few minutes if you've been telling God some hard things that maybe you've never talked to him about maybe you've been saying things to God that you've never had the courage to say maybe you've been I don't know what you where you've been at but I want you to just close your eyes and listen to what I'm saying every moment of darkness, sadness, hurt, worry, everything that tried to enter your life, everything that held ground in your life, then you thought it was gone, and then it came back, rearing its ugly head again. Through every step of that process, Jesus Christ, the same Jesus who went to the cross, was standing there beside you, was holding your hand, was crying with you. And he says to you, come, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your soul. He says, I am gentle and humble of heart. Learn from me. is a powerful weapon against the church but I came here today to announce that it's officially done it's over this is the funeral for fear my friends this is the funeral for fear and I want to invite everyone as we sing this next song no longer slaves I want to invite you in the spirit of newness in Christ to visualize yourself picking up a shovel a Holy Spirit shovel and throwing dirt on top of that dead and decaying corpse called fear and saying you no longer have the right to tell me who I am you no longer have the right to tell me how to feel you no longer have the right to tell me what I can and can't do or what what I have to own up to so won't you uh yeah, just stand with us. We're going we're gonna to raise our voices against this thing. We're going to raise our voices against fear in praise of our God because he deserves all of our worship because he overcome, came hell, death, and the grave to put fear in its grave, to put fear where it belongs, off of the back of his children and under our feet. So stand with me and we're going to worship.